John chapter 7, verses 1 to 52, on page 1521. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so your disciples there may see the works that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, he'll perform more signs. Will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent the temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. 
You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go, that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or or the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing they replied are you from Galilee too look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee thanks Thanks, Penny. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Bernie. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I do get the uh, great privilege of opening up John's Gospel with us. So make sure you have your outline with you because there's some, uh, uh, well, there's some tips as to where I'm going, but also uh, some extra Bible passages there that'll be really helpful along the way. Let me pray, and uh, then we'll get stuck into it. Father, we give you great praise today that you are speaking to us still. And Father, more so, you enable your words to have an impact. So Father, we pray that you would speak to us uh, so that our our minds might understand, uh, but also our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, when you get into the car and and try to head somewhere in particular that you don't know, um, do you actually use paper maps anymore? You know, those maps that appear in books? Do you remember that? Actually, ever, you actually use one? Fantastic. I remember using one. Nowadays, people are just looking up their phones, looking up their GPS modules. Uh, but I, I, remember, I remember having to open up those, those paper books and you know, keeping them open on the side to make sure that we can know where we're going, right? I, I love listening to the GPSs now, and uh, especially when they try and pronounce different names, uh, particularly Asian restaurant names. Uh, they, they make me laugh quite a lot. Um, it's, got even, it's even got options for accents. So right now, my GPS sounds Irish, uh, which I'm just loving. I'm just loving. It's just, it's just this poetic and such a 
such a lovely sing-song kind of like accent is Irish, right? Um, I practice my assertiveness with my GPS. You ever do that? You know when your, when your GPS says turn left and you say, no, keep up, is what I say. Like it or not, when it comes to life, I think we follow various GPSs as well. I mean, some of the directions we get, <clears throat> they come from our parents, uh, or some from our friends, or some from the ones whom we respect, or even those who inspire us, or well, ones who make sense, really, or maybe even ones who comfort us. Our values, our hopes, our sense of right and wrong, they all follow various people's compasses. In the end, though, the world ends up following its own directions. <clears throat> but there's something better. There is something better that we're going to read about in this chapter. Uh, something better that Christians here in this building know all about. Because it comes from God. His compass and his directions. In this chapter, Jesus comes across people who think that he should follow their directions, their GPS, <clears throat> when the only directions he will take comes from his Father. And along the way, we see how various people of the world respond to God's compass. It's going to make us, as Christians, so thoroughly thankful that we have his truth and his wisdom to follow. Now remember, the purpose statement, uh, the reason why John uh, wrote this book in the first place, why the, for John's gospel, do you remember that? So I'm gonna, it's, a, it's a memory verse for us for this series, so I figured I'd have a go in front of you. So here we go. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How did I go? Yeah, fantastic. Your turn next week, okay? Heads up. Today we're going to discover a little more of what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah that follows his Father's directions. And Jesus points out three ways that he takes direction only from his Father. We see it in one, his timing. Number two, we see it in his teaching. And number three, we see it in his identity as God's promised king. So the first way, the first way we see it is that Jesus follows God's direction is in his timing. He follows God's timing. <clears throat> now in the last chapter, we heard how a, a large number of Jesus' disciples left him because they didn't believe he is the bread of life. Thankfully, there were a few still remaining, 12 in number stuck around because only Jesus, only Jesus has the words of eternal life. Now, verse 1 of chapter 7 gives us quite a distressing picture of the world around Jesus. Uh, it is now filled with Jew, uh, Jewish leaders who want to kill him, particularly in the area of Judea. And again, here is the great irony this is all happening during the Jewish festival of tabernacles uh, when they're supposed to remember their peoples escaping from Egypt during the time of the Exodus and their wanderings uh, during the, uh, the, the desert, their wanderings uh, whilst living in little tabernacles or little tents. That's what it means. Where once they were fleeing the murderers of Egypt, here they are being the ones who are plotting murder themselves. 
And what's more distressing is that Jesus' very own brothers seems to be in on the plot against him. Uh, I find sometimes that uh, we aren't used to hearing that Jesus has brothers. Yes, he's got brothers, right? His, his mother had, had other children. Uh, not that they're showing very much brotherly love right now, because listen to the advice, verse 3. Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now, if you want to be known, Jesus, then you can't keep walking around in secret. You need to get out there and let people see you. Now, this kind of sounds like, uh, Jesus, you just need to get your advertising campaign a little bit better. But I, I question their sincerity. Because it's coming not from a desire for the world to know Jesus, but actually it comes from verse 5, their lack of belief, their disbelief. They didn't believe his claims about himself were true. In contrast to the 12, here are his very own brothers who didn't think that he had the words of eternal life. They wanted Jesus to head to Judea to the Jewish leaders and therefore to killers. Well, listen to Jesus' response to his brothers. Verse 6, My time is not yet here. For you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going to the festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. Jesus doesn't dance to the beat of their drum. His time is set by another. And it is not time yet for him to head to his death. Do you notice, though, that he didn't say, my time will never come? What he does say is, my time is not yet here. Can you imagine what it must have been like to live with those words constantly in your mind. The words, not yet. God the Son, who heals the paralytic, who saves people from terminal illness, who provides bread to the thousands from nowhere, who walks on water, and yet he chooses to submit to the words, not yet. He will go there, but not yet, because his time is set not by unbelieving brothers or murderous Jews, but his father. He follows only his father's directions. Jesus does end up going to Judea, but he does so on his terms. He does so secretly. And he starts to hear the murmurings of the people there about him. Some are surprisingly positive. Verse 12, he's a good man. Some negative, verse 12. He deceives the people. Jesus isn't surprised by how the world is so vehemently against him. Uh, he has been giving the world some pretty blunt truth, that is, that its works are evil. I mean, you keep telling people uh, that their works are evil and there's bound to be some hatred coming your way. I wonder what you think of Jesus' assessment of the world. Um, when you look upon the world, 
do you conclude that the world's works are evil? Uh, I, I turned to the advertiser during the week as I was preparing this, and I was thinking, I wonder what the newspapers would say about this, right? So front page of the advertiser, you do have to get past uh, the, the fluff, you know, like relief for Taylor Swift fans after tickets frenzy. <laughs> past that one. Past this one, uh, new security wall to stop people weeing on Parliament House, okay? Past those ones, and you start seeing some pretty serious ones, right? Anom secret texts inside the chat groups of Australia's underworld. That sounds pretty bad. Corrupt but no charges. ICAC's bombshell Gladys verdict. Or suspicious house fire in the Adelaide Hills. Uh, there were some other fairly more serious headlines out there, but I just found them really, really worrying and quite distressing. I remember when I wasn't a Christian and hearing Jesus for the first time through his word. And one of the things that really struck me was actually just how well Jesus viewed the world and how accurately he could pinpoint what the world is like. When he says that the world is evil, I look around and I say, that's actually really accurate. And that was actually very accurate of well, the way that I thought and the way that I was. He, he just cut through so much of the fluff and was able to show me what really life was like in the world. Does it square with how you see the world? Is it true that you see the world hating Jesus? Is it true that people hurt each other and neglect one another and destroy God's creation? That we don't measure the world against God's compass, but instead we measure based upon our own compass. Can you see that the world is evil? It is precisely into this world that Jesus intentionally comes. None of it, none of it takes him by surprise. He knew that his father has set a time for him to face the greatest of evil, and he comes. He comes nevertheless. Such is the grace that he shows. We've been exploring the fact that Jesus only takes directions from his Father, and the first way we see it is in his timing. The second way we see it is in his teaching. He takes directions only from his Father, also in what he says. Jesus is in the temple courts teaching sometime later during the festival, and Jews have to admit that there's something intriguing about what he's saying. They are, verse 15, amazed and wondering how Jesus got this teaching without having been formally taught by their own institutions. I'm just listening to Jesus' answer. Verse 16, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Jesus credits all his teaching to his father, he didn't make it up, he didn't pluck it out of thin air, and he certainly didn't get it from the Jews. He got it directly from God, in whose name the building they were in is built. He is in the temple. The temple is, where the, is a place where you're supposed to be able to hear God speak, and here he is speaking God's words. Jesus then points out that they could judge... Uh, 
that they could judge for themselves where his teaching comes from. So verse 17, he says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. The point is that if the Jews have been obeying their God's will, then all Jesus' teachers should align with what they know. He's not teaching anything that's novel or inconsistent or contrary to what God has already said. It's all in par with him. They would know this if, and it's a very big if, they would know this if they had been following God's will in the first place. And there's the pointy bit, isn't it? Were they really doing God's will or were they doing the will of evil? Jesus maintains that he does not teach for his own personal glory, but his Father's glory, the Father's teaching, the Father's will for the Father's glory. The Jewish leaders were the ones who were seeking their own personal glory rather than the glory of God. And so Jesus points this out, verse 19. He says, Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? I mean, I don't think you can get any clearer about how far their intentions were from God's intentions. There is no way they can claim that they're trying to kill Jesus out of an obedience to God. They can't source where Jesus' teaching is from because they've not been following God's word or will at all. And to, just, to, to, to show just how evil they had become, they actually have the gall to, uh, to object to Jesus' accusations. And what they do is they accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. Their judgment had gone all haywire. They weren't judging correctly. Jesus gives, gives them another example of their hypocrisy. And this time he reminds them about when he healed the paralyzed man. Remember that? Chapter 5, heals the paralyzed man sitting in the, at the pool. They claim to follow the law about observing the Sabbath, and they make an exception to that law when it comes to circumcision. They permitted the good work of circumcision on the Sabbath, but they refused to recognize Jesus' good work of healing a whole body on the Sabbath. They are hypocrites. And Jesus calls them to, verse 24, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. They don't see that because Jesus' teaching comes from God, and that, that teaching, well, that teaching actually judges them. Who's in the judgment dock now? Because it's certainly not Jesus. Sometimes I, I receive um, urgent messages on my mobile phone. Ones that really, you know, make me really want to have to stop and take notice. Uh, I got this a few, a few months back. Hey, Bernie, it's Paul Harrington. Oh, Paul's, Paul's messaging. Should stop, listen. I'm in a meeting at the moment, but I need a $50 gift voucher urgently. And I'm wondering if you can do me a favor. Please reply if you can help. Paul needs my help. So uh, after about five vouchers, I, I got a little suspicious. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not that gullible, especially when they, they spell the word urgently with a J. Now that, that's a bit of a tell. What does Paul do with all those gift vouchers? 
uh, I agree. I mean, these scammers, they should all kind of be locked together in a cold room with a dripping tap. But you've got to sometimes smile at their effort, don't you? The problem is now, whenever Paul sends me a message, I've got to pause. And I've got to go, is, is this the real Paul? Like, is he actually like messaging me? And I have to I have to authenticate Paul, right? I have to send him a message from my message like, did you just send me a message? Uh, usually it's not about vouchers, right? Say, did you just send me a message? Here's, here, here are the Jews. They're having a lot of trouble trying to work out whether Jesus' message was the truth or a lie. I mean, Jesus says that they can authenticate his message with what the Father has already said in his law. The problem is, these Jews, they were counterfeit followers of God. They didn't follow him at all. And that's, that's why they were having trouble. I think at this point, it's important for us to pause and make sure that our judgments are correct. Uh, Jesus' question to us is, whose glory are we seeking ourselves? Whose directions are we following? Are we following our own directions or are we following God's? I've been having the, the privilege of, uh, of visiting growth groups in the past few weeks. And can I say just how encouraging it's been to see people engaging with God's word together just in smaller groups. Not only do they do the hard work of discerning the truth and God's directions, but also humbling themselves before it. There's no sense of big noting themselves for their knowledge or their works uh, or even their supper or their morning tea, which might I say is quite fascinating and quite amazing. They keep pressing on because they know that the directions from God is worth listening to together uh, and delighting in together. So can I just say, brothers and sisters, keep pressing on in your growth groups. Keep pressing on submitting ourselves before God and his compass. We've seen that Jesus takes his directions only from God. We've seen it uh, in how he times his movements, but also in what he teaches. The third way Jesus shows that he only takes direction from his father is in fulfilling his father's promise of being his king. Well, it seems that some of the Jews are wondering why Jesus, well, he's just waltzing around. He's not being captured at all because he's made his way to Judea. Uh, and there's a kill squad after them, of course. So they start to wonder if their leaders have changed their minds about him. So verse 26, have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. The Messiah is God's anointed king. That's what Messiah means, anointed king, whom he has promised who would come to rule over his people. The title Messiah is the same meaning as the title Christ. You know, Jesus the Christ. He is God's anointed king. Could this be him? Their hesitation is because it was commonly assumed that the Messiah's origins would be a secret. And Jesus' response is to point out that his authority, his kingly authority, comes from the one who sent him. He's been fairly clear that the one who sent him is indeed his father. It is God himself. The only one who knows God truly is one who is from him. Verse 29. Jesus followed the directions of his father, 
and that it included exercising the authority given to him. Well, the crowd, they, they got his meaning, which meant that they tried to grab him. <laughs> Verse 30, no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Again, we see Jesus' timing is determined not by the crowd, but by his heavenly Father. Jesus doesn't turn left when his brothers tell him to turn left. He doesn't exit when the Jews tell him to exit. He moves when his Father directs him to do so. As you read John's Gospel, and I encourage you to keep reading, keep reading it all the way to the end, uh, keep an eye out for when he does say that his hour has arrived. It's a fairly significant point in John's Gospel. So as you read, Jesus knows that his hour is coming soon. Verse 33, Jesus said, I'm with you only for a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. His hour marks the time he will go back to his father, but the route he will take, it is filled with death and with suffering. Notice the troubling conclusion to the crowd's future. They will not be able to follow. They will not be able to follow him where he's going. And they may not be troubled right now, but they should be plenty troubled. They think Jesus is just going for an interstate trip to go visit relatives. But actually, they don't realize that their future with God is in jeopardy. This will get actually picked up in chapter 8, so come back next week. At the highest point of the Festival of Tabernacles, Jesus says something really, really pointed. Verse 37, he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. There was a water ritual to do with the festival, and it looks like Jesus is taking this water ritual and just repurposing it to point to beyond it. If you are dehydrated and you are parched, come to him and you won't just get a sip. You will get a river of water. Your thirst will be quenched and then some. Our very basic necessity, we might think, is things like bread and water. But as Jesus is the bread of life, he gives us our basic necessity of living water. Thankfully, he kind of explains what this living water is. Verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So whoever believes in Jesus receives the Spirit. That living water is the living Spirit. Our basic need is for God's Spirit. The Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. For God is one, and He is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Jesus sends the Spirit once he leaves. And the Spirit, he is the one that enables his disciples to remember his teaching. To turn away from evil. The Spirit is the one who enables us to follow his teaching. And to intercede for us before the Father. In the end, 
Having the Spirit is vital in receiving and following God's directions. Big topic, Holy Spirit. Uh, there's been a sermon series in the past uh, months or so, so go listen to that on the Holy Spirit. Jesus here is again following the directions from his Father and following his Father's promise to send his Spirit. Uh, just as an aside, I, I think this is actually, in, in particular, Jesus is pointing out the prophecy of Zechariah 14. Uh, so there's a few passages uh, briefly kind of uh, pointed out in your outline there. See, Zechariah speaks about God leading his people out of the nations, out from exile, and he says this in 14 verse 8. Zechariah 14 verse 8, in your outline, he says, On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea, and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. So what do we get from this? There will only be one king at that time, and that king is God himself. And from his place, he will provide this living water. You see, another reason for Israel's festival of tabernacles was to celebrate this king. So Zechariah 14, verse 16, Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. Only God the King will provide water for His people. God delivers His people again, much like the Exodus, and this time the nations will join in worship of this one singular king. And this king is Jesus. Jesus drives according to the directions of God. And he is God the king here to lead and to provide this water. That water is more than just H2O, for what he ultimately provides is his spirit. So are you hydrated? Are you quenched by what God provides in his spirit? It's one thing to be given the words of eternal life. It's quite another to have the spirit to receive that word of eternal life. I remember when I arrived in Adelaide from Sydney, might I say it just took some getting used to the water here? Pause for effect. No, not really. I'm used to tap water having some flavor. But the water of Adelaide is an acquired taste. <laughs> and I reckon the most vintage water comes out of the tap from over there. This place called C.B. Howard Hall, I think it's got the oldest pipes in Adelaide. And uh, if you ever, you want to go for an adventure, go, go drink the water. But you know when you're desperate for water and you're just so thirsty, you drink anything that comes out of a pipe, don't you? That feeling of having your thirst quenched thoroughly is just an amazing feeling. Well, you haven't felt true quenchification until you receive the Spirit. I kid you not. He's the one who assures us 
that we are God's children, that we are secure in him, and he enables us to see that, God, that Jesus is God's promised king, that what we need most, that what we need first, it's actually God's spirit and his word. Remember those growth group members lapping up God's word and loving one another with it? Friends, that's what the Spirit does. Like people wouldn't gather around God's word in the first place otherwise. People would find no truth in it. They would find no wisdom in it. They would find no joy in it. The fact that we have groups here willing to spend their nights, their days, opening the scriptures together, that's just telling you that you have the Spirit who is receiving his Father's word and just delighting in it. Brothers and sisters, give thanks for the Spirit who has made his home in us. For he hydrates and he directs and he comforts. We've heard then that Jesus takes his directions only from his Father. He takes his timing from his Father. He receives his teaching from his Father. And his authority as the promised king, that too comes from only his father. Isn't it interesting to see how the people respond to Jesus? In a word, they are divided. Some of the people look like they're responding positively. So verse 40, some are convinced that Jesus is the prophet, you know, the leader like Moses. Verse 41, others say that he is the Messiah. Hooray, progress! Others are still unconvinced about his origins. The temple guards, they just fascinate me. I mean, their job is to go and arrest Jesus, right? They can't do it. Why is that? Verse 46, no one has ever spoke the way this man does. No one. They've been around the temple a a few years, right? These temple guards. Never heard. Because Jesus' words come from his father. Even Nicodemus, you remember him? The Jewish leader in chapter 3? You know, he questions how Jesus is being treated without even getting a hearing. That's fascinating. And yet there are still the Pharisees who oppose Jesus. And they still have their pitchforks out. Friends, for those of you who aren't Christian yet, and you're just trying to work out who Jesus is and what Christians are like, I wonder what you think about Jesus' teaching. It's lovely that, that you're here and you're, you're willing to hear him out and you're willing to hear, well, Christians out as well. But I wonder whether the things that you're hearing from Jesus, does it square with how you see the world or ourselves or even of Christians? I wonder how you're going with that. Keep on asking questions. Keep on asking questions from the people who brought you. Come, come and ask me later on. We've seen that Jesus only follows the directions of his Father. Jesus does this because he wants us to have life in his name. You will not appreciate that life unless you have a clear picture of what life is like in the world and what life is like coming from the King of God. So whose directions will you follow? Whose compass will you use? 
when it comes to your driving, whose GPS will you use? I know the answer for the Christians who are here. Brothers and sisters, isn't it an incredible blessing to be following the directions of our Savior Jesus? There is no one else who can see the world so clearly, and yet who graciously comes amongst the evil to give us life. He came amongst our evil. How satisfying is it to be able to listen to the Spirit's scriptures? They are words of eternal life. Isn't it so freeing that we don't have to insist on our own personal glory? That we have this freedom to be able to let the Father have it all. To let God have it all. I think we, an appropriate response here is to praise him, is it not? How about we pray together? Father, we want to praise you. We thank you for your son. We know that he represents you perfectly because he is from you and he takes his directions from you. Father, we hear it in his words. We see it in his timing. We recognize it in the authority that he has as your king. And Father, we thank you that you speak your words, but not only that you give us your spirit to receive them. Father, we are so nourished by you. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.